Praise God. Welcome again to those here for the first time, especially. I gave you a scripture last week. I forgot to read it. When God says something three times, it means it's very, very, very important. There's not many things in scripture get a threefold declaration. But in Song of Songs, chapter 2 and verse 7, God says this. Daughters of Jerusalem, I charge you by the gazelles and by the does of the field, do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. And in your version, it may say until the appointed time. And he goes on to repeat that in chapter 3, verse 5, and again in chapter 8 of Song of Songs, verse 4. So what it means is that there's something of immense importance concerning the love that is inside you. All of us have got love. We're made, well, you lost or saved. You're made in the image of God. And that means you are a vessel, a carrier of love. And you can wake it up at the wrong time. You can wake it up in the wrong relationship and end up marrying the wrong person. Or you can wake it up at the right time and end up in the right place like no other force on earth. The force of love can either make you or break you. Like no other thing on earth. It's got such power. The Bible talks about this all over the place. It says that love is as strong as death. There's no more emphatic God can make it. You see, whether you know it or not, whether you accept it or not, our motivations, the things we do, are motivated by love. The decisions you take, the actions you make, it's love that's behind it. Now, it could be love for yourself. It could be a wrong sort of love, but it'll be love of some sort. It could be love for yourself. It could be love for another. It causes you to do what you do and live the way you live. It could be love for God. It could be love of sin. It could be any sort of love, bad and good, that is behind the way we live our lives. If left unguided, this thing can kill you or cure you. Now, it's an immensely important topic. Last week, we just looked in a very broad sense at the differences between men and women. We could spend weeks and weeks on that because the differences are immense. We saw how, generally speaking, a man seeks an object for his affection. His love is outward. And the woman's the exact reverse. That's the design of God. She's the receiver of love. She's looking for someone to love her. That's very different. Now I know we are certainly generalizing because in today's society, there's many gals who are chasing guys. True? Many girls chasing boys. And that's okay. Just be a bit careful, girls. Watch it. What are you going to do with them if you catch them? Huh? What are you going to do with them? They think, um, I'm going to marry him. Are you? Then what? Uh, I don't know. Hadn't thought that far ahead yet. Okay. Well, you're going to have to, first of all, catch him. Then you say you're going to marry him. The, the next bit's very important. <laughs> then you're going to have to keep him for the rest of his, his life. I don't know if you can do that too well. You see, a man is made differently from a woman. A man is made to chase, catch, and keep his prey. And he will. But the woman, if you're putting yourself in a position that maybe you're not naturally made to fulfill in due course, you want to be careful. And the scripture's got some very clear guidelines on all of this stuff. Today's topic is dating. To date or not to date. Whether we should. It's a big topic, you know, at this point in time, particularly all over the world, there's a lot of discussion going on about this. Should Christians date or not? And the, those against Christians dating, they've got a rock-solid case. They say that dating puts Christians in a place of temptation that no man can stand. True. They say dating makes believers enter into intimate relationships of any sort with a whole series of people. So by the time they get to their marriage, the first thing they're going to do with their partner is compare them over and over and over again. And it adds lots of difficulties to an up-and-coming, you know, relationship that God may bring into your life. And the complications go on and on and on and on and on. Those who are in favor of dating would say, well, how am I supposed to get to know someone who God may be bringing to me then? Give me an answer, and that's what we're going to look at today. The world has changed so much. Times have changed. Societies have changed. Cultures have changed. 
And if you look back in history, my pointer is not working. Sorry. If you look back over history, you will see the changes that took place. In the past, take for example Genesis. Isaac is born and Isaac's father wants a bride for his son. Now what does he say? Isaac, go get yourself a wife? No. He sends his, he prays. They seek God. The parents seek God for Isaac. And they send the servants out and they pray, God, go with you. Bring back a bride for Isaac. And in the past, right up until the recent past, actually, parents would seek God's will. God was involved in the selection of a husband or a wife. The parents would seek God's will. And the partner would be brought along. They would be presented to the potential spouse. Boy to girl, girl to boy. There would be agreement between the families. This is right through the Bible. There would be a sensible agreement come to. They would then get married. Now look at the last point. Then they would awaken love. Within the security, within the confines and security of a marriage, they're safe. And then they could awaken love. And that has been the pattern of history right up until the modern day. And it's only about 150 years ago or so that dating became a culture. Of course, there would have been those who dated over centuries, but it wasn't a culture on earth. Prior to about 150 years ago, this was the way things were, and it certainly was this way in biblical days. Now, I know times have changed, but today we've got a serious problem because you know what? Today, it's all about love. And love has become one of the gods of our society. Instead of God. Instead of seeking God, like they did in the past, they seek love. And God has become, or love has become God. And I, I'm sorry for having to say this, and I don't want to hurt anybody, but particularly women. It's true. You see, a woman's got that softer heart and is so much more vulnerable in this area. To love being God. The whole romance thing. Remember the lists last week? The top ten? The man didn't even have romance on his list. The woman had it at number two. You see? So you've got to be extra careful. Love has become a God in our day. And we just can't have that. Remember a few weeks ago we looked at the, the, the way to go about relationships correctly. Society will tell you it's all about this. You've got to meet the right person, fall in love. You shouldn't fall anywhere. If you're falling over, you want to get a grip of yourself. Amen. <laughs> not about falling over. It's not about an accident. It's a worldly term. It's not a biblical term. Meet the right person, fall in love, and focus the rest of your life on each other. How more wrong could you be? But God, of course, wants you to become the right person. Remember? Become the right person. Walk in love in the church where you're safe, where you've got cover, and grow in love, and if that's God, it will become apparent. Now, things have changed over time. People are now, they used to die at 45, 55. So, you know, women had to get married at a much younger age in order to have children and raise those children and everything else. And as societies have changed and cultures have changed, the age at which people marry has got higher and higher. So now your 14, 15, 16-year-old daughter that, they, they, that the parents would be giving in marriage, she's now 20, 25. Not so easy to give her in marriage, right? So she's now older and societies have changed and so the whole structure has changed. But unfortunately, dating has taken over. In my opinion, it does a lot more harm than good. And we need to be very careful. But I understand the predicament that you find yourself in. Do we want to date in a worldly way? No. We want nothing to do with it, Amen. Nothing to do with it. Do we want, do you want your mum and dad to turn up with a partner tomorrow morning and say, this is who you're marrying? <laughs> Certainly not in this culture. I think people are going to have a lot of problems with that. Still happens today, but you're going to have a lot of problems with that. And, you know, no. But we have to have a happy medium. There has to be a biblical way of sorting this out. So what we're going to look at is, what well, we'll call it the seven commandments of dating. If you want to call it that, I don't know what other words you want to put on it. But let's call it that for the sake of where we're going. First commandment, very important, is thou shalt get a life, not a wife. <laughs> thou shalt get a life, not a boyfriend or a girlfriend. Commandment number one. You with me? If you need to have a boyfriend, you've got a problem. If you need, need, if it's a must, 
then you're not connected to God really in the right way. That's the wrong motivation to enter into any relationship. Remember, become the right person. But dad, learn to stand with God. It's his first thing. He brings loneliness. He brings all sorts of pain, unfortunately, into people's lives until he can get them on their own two feet. Don't let that be your motivation for getting a girlfriend. Everybody else got a boyfriend. What's wrong with me? Everybody else got a girlfriend. What's wrong with me? That can't be your motivation. If you've got some problem with your self-worth, that you feel low about yourselves, don't try to get a relationship to sort that out. Get a life, not a boyfriend. Get a life, not a girlfriend. Start to build your spiritual life. Get involved in the church more and more. Start to build your social life. And this is a real key. You know, a, a lazy person is not attractive. An inactive person is very unattractive. Get a life, right? Get out, get busy, get out there. Get a social life and develop that. And an active, you know, proactive person is much more attractive anyway. So get busy in life. You cannot go into a relationship just because everybody else has or just because you're, you know, Yabib, because you're feeling the pain of that, that's part of the human experience. And you're not going to have to learn to cope with that in a better way. Don't get a boyfriend or girlfriend out of desperation because you're desperate. Hold off, hold back. And goodness knows our society has a, a, a very large number, sorry, that's sticking on me, of desperately seeking Susans. <laughs> They're out there, and you've got to be careful, very, very careful. You know, the alarm, the, the, there's a thing called the biological alarm, alarm clock inside men and women. Inside men, that alarm clock goes off when they hit about 40. Inside women, that alarm clock goes off when they hit about 30. You know what I mean? It's an alarm clock that tells them if you're going to get married, you need to be thinking it about, no, right? Now, you can, when the alarm clock goes off in that way, everybody in the room can hear it, let me tell you. Right, But it's a dangerous thing. It's a dangerous thing. Like, for example, if you're standing in the corridor outside and the phone rings. What do you do? 99.999% of people will pick it up and say, well, hey, it might not be for you. It might be for somebody else, right? You don't have to pick it up. But phones have that effect on you, don't they? And so it is with someone going through their biological alarm clock. Just because... A woman is at that age or a man is at that age, you need to be careful that you don't just happen to find yourself in their company whilst that alarm bell is going off. Or once again, you could end up in the wrong place at the wrong time. Commandment number one, get yourself a life. And don't go responding to alarm calls that have got nothing to do with you. Be careful. Proceed with great caution. Remember, Eve was a bonus to Adam. Adam was a bonus to Eve. They were both focused on God. And so should your boyfriend, girlfriend, husband, wife be. They are an addition to your life in that sense. Not the thing that you're dependent upon. Not someone, you know, that you're, you're going into a relationship because you're dependent on them for your self-worth or whatever. So commandment number one, get a life. Commandment number two, thou shalt use your brain. It's a very important thing to do. God has given us a body with many parts. We've got feet. And those feet can take you out of trouble. Remember, you've got them. So if they take you into the wrong place, use them to get yourself out of it. Amen. God has given you a beating heart. We call it the seat of your emotions. Fine. No problem. Guard it. But that's absolutely fine. But he's also given you a brain. The brain is very important when it comes to dealing with love. It's very important to help us discern the difference between eros love and agape love. And we've looked at that over the past weeks for those of you who are here. Eros love is romantic love. Agape love is self-sacrificing love. Agape's love is given, focused on the other. You see, romantic love, eros love will never keep a marriage together not meant to. I don't think that's the purpose of it anyway. Won't keep you together. Only agape is ever going to keep any marriage together, let me tell you. Only agape. But God uses romance. It's fine. He uses romance to bring two people together. 
and it can stay with them. I'm just saying it isn't the sort of love that holds people together over a lifetime. Not a chance. No chance. You need agape for that. It did woodwork when I was in school, you know, and I recently had to build a, a, a little frame at home. And I was putting bolts on it and everything else, but the thing wasn't working properly. And I remembered from my school days what was missing. Glue. Wood glue. And I got, got up to home base, I got wood glue, put it on, and the thing came to... Wood glue is temporary. There was bolts in that thing. I could pay. But the wood glue was still needed to bring that, you know, thing together. And that's really what romance does. God uses it in that way. It's a very different thing from agape, and we need to get our brains in tune with that so we don't get tripped up. Why? Well, because romantic love has a nasty habit of overriding your brain. Romantic love has a nasty habit of stopping you using your normal thinking processes. And it can make you do crazy things, stupid things, immoral things. People get carried away on romantic love. Let me give you an example. Let's say there's a girl, and she's a godly girl. And she gets a phone call one day, and this handsome man says, I'd like to ask you out on a date. <gasps> she's flattered. So she says, okay, so I'll meet you in Burger King, Sucky Hall Street. <laughs> Not very romantic. So he says, okay. They go down there, and they're walking, and because she's a godly girl, she's prayed before she goes. And she says, oh God, I commit this time to you. And I make some promises. We're not going to touch each other. I won't, I won't hold his hand. And I certainly won't be alone with him. And if he says, come back to my place, of course I won't go, Lord. So down she goes. They meet downtown and they start walking down the street. And guess what? He takes a hold of her hand. Oh. And she's walking along and she thinks, well, he's so sweet. <laughs> He doesn't mean any harm. It would be awful for me just to, to, to say, no, I'll just let it go. And he leads her down the street. and he, Oh, look, we just ended up outside my place. What a coincidence. Do you want to come into my place? And she said, uh, he couldn't mean any harm. I, I don't want to say no. I tell you what, I'll go in. Now, I want to tell you something, folks. Please, very important. As soon as that man touches that woman, do you know what happens? 25% of your brain just shut down. <laughs> just like that. And do you know what happened? There was a power transfer. There was an internal shift of power to your heart from your brain. Your brain was already in gear. You're already functioning out of that. But as soon as you got touched, boom, there's a power shift. You've got to be ready for that and prepared for that. Once again, men are different from women. We're wired completely different. It takes an awful lot longer to arouse a woman than it ever does a man. And completely different, you know, wiring in the systems, friend. Okay? Men, for instance, men's, men are stimulated by what they see. And they're stimulated by touching only certain parts of their body. But a woman is not like that. A woman begins stimulation at the touching of any part of her body. It's a different mechanism altogether because it takes her longer. So as a man, you need to know that. Because if you're going out on a date and you're, you know, stroking, holding your hands, hugging your girlfriend, you're starting in process something you can't finish. And that leads to frustration, a lot of frustration very quickly, particularly in the, in the early stages of that within the woman. You think, well, we're only holding hands, but you've started something that you have no right to start. And it all ends in tears when a woman cannot, you know, the natural progression is obviously it's a husband and wife situation. You shouldn't be touching anybody. Amen. Amen. You shouldn't be touching anybody. And people say, oh, you're old fashioned. We can't hold hands. All I'm saying, guys and gals, wake up. Wake up. We have a body, a real body that, you know, has automatic physiological processes. I'm glad I got that out. <laughs> when you touch, those things will go into operation. And if you can't finish it, don't start it. That woman is made to travel from arousal to orgasm. And that's not what you're going to be doing. So why start? And I'll tell you something. When she can't do that, 
even though she maybe doesn't understand that. When you start the arousal process by hugging or kissing or touching, do you know what she does? The body is wired to respond to these, but there's no fulfillment. So you see these fools out kissing each other and saying, oh, get with it, wake up, it's 2008. These Christian fools kissing and hugging and everything else. That girl ultimately goes home. And do you know what she does? She cries. She cries and she doesn't know why she's crying. Because her body, once again, is hardwired to release the stress from not going to orgasm through crying, through tears. That's what happens. That's how the body deals with it. And the woman ends up crying. What are you crying about? I don't know. Well, that's what she's crying about. And we mess each other up. Her hormones, her whole body is all stirred up. So you can say, well, okay, what am I supposed to do? Well, make a few guidelines for yourself. Put in some parameters around your dating that you stick to. If you're going to meet someone, for example, this is the Christian way. If you're going to go out with a guy, you're going to go out with a girl, number one, meet in public places. Meet in groups. If, you're going to, if, you've, if someone says they fancy you, they want to say, come over to my place. But by the way, I'm also inviting two or three other friends. Meet in groups. There's safety for you. There's accountability for you. Meet in public places. And if you're going to meet just the two of you, keep those encounters brief, reasonably formal, and don't lead yourself up the garden path. Be careful. And whatever you do, and my advice to you is just don't touch it all. Just don't touch it all. Because you're getting yourself in deeper than you can get yourself out of. So just stay away from it. Stay away from it. So meet in public places. Don't go alone. Just make a commitment right from the beginning. Now, we've got several couples dating here in the church. And praise, I praise God for that. But somebody was laughing at me the other day because my phone keeps on beeping. <laughs> I have got a, 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 a relationship with several different couples who are dating and want maybe to get married in the future. So what I do is I say, if, you, if anything goes wrong, you're not allowed to be on your own together. But if anything goes wrong, because it does, that's life. We were supposed to be here, but someone has to go. Oh, we're stuck on our own. You text me. So my phone goes beep, 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 <laughs> But then I know that the person is still accountable. Because these things happen. You know what it's like. That's just the everyday role of life. So be sensible in the way you proceed. Don't rush into things. Take your time. Stay in groups. Third, thou shalt not, is thou, or thou, 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 thou shalt Date only a believer. Pretty obvious one, but I've seen too many good, good, good people fall for this one. They call it having an evangelistic relationship, you know. When the guy's lost, or the girl is lost, they say, oh, God's going to use me to lead them. No. Get out of that. There is no question. There is no discussion to be had. Are you with me? Please. There is no discussion. There's nothing to talk about. If the, if the person is not a believer, you get away. You pray for them, pray for them to be saved or whatever. But if you're romantically interested in them, I would say leave it to somebody else even to pray for them. Tell someone else to deal with that because you'll be investing energy and that could, might not be God. Right? Be careful what you pray for because you'll end up getting all tied up. You might cross a line. So no evangelistic relationships. No Mother Teresa's. Do you know what I mean by that? Some people have such a need to be needed. A huge need to be needed. It's a problem. Plain and simply a problem. But there's a bigger problem. If you enter into your marriage to try and fix that need, you really have got yourself in trouble. You know what I mean? For instance, some people will look for someone who is debilitated. They will look for someone who has huge needs and they almost feel good in that relationship because they feel needed. Fine to meet people's needs. I'm just saying, don't use marriage to fulfill that weakness in you. Because that will backfire big time. Don't do that. One of our leaders in the church in Dublin is a lady called Deirdre Dunn. And she had had many boyfriends over many years. Every single one of them was a drug addict. <laughs> one after the other after the other, they were all on heroin. And she was a perfectly normal girl. And a lovely girl. She ended up marrying one of them. He died. Mark died. And she was in one of our groups one day and she said, all my life I have had a need to be needed. And I've had a series of relationships meeting that need. And she confessed it, broke free of it, and for the first time she married the pastor in Dublin, Jimmy Dunn. 
the first guy she was able to have a normal relationship with. You see, a marriage is a relationship between two equals. Between two equals who are equally committed to one another. Not your way, you know, it's, it's, it's not to be your shrink or your nurse or whatever. Now, amen, if that's needed in any circumstance, but you don't get married on that basis. You understand what I'm saying? Two equals pulling, pulling weight together. Don't sort out that type of issue that way. Next commandment. Thou shalt slow down. <laughs> that's a good one. Slow down. Take it easy. Take your time. Next commandment. Thou shalt heed the warning signs. And goodness knows there can be plenty of them in life. If you're in a relationship, romantic love will make you blind. They say love is blind. Well, let me tell you something. Agape is not blind. Agape loves 2020. Agape love sees everything, understands everything, and accepts everything. But romantic love is totally blind. Can't see a thing, won't accept a thing. Oh, it will be okay. It will all be all right. We can't go down that road. You heed the warning signs in any relationship. Our friend of mine, I was due to meet him one day, and I knew the guy very well. He had just got engaged. He was going to get married. He told me all about his girlfriend. I was excited. I thought, this sounds great. I went down, and she was horrible. She was nasty. She was, do you know what she, she was bitter, bitter. And she undermined him countless times. Just in a casual conversation, she was undermining him. She was, oh, just not good. I remember leaving that thinking, that's a warning sign. <laughs> Hello, are you going to marry her? You're crazy. She's a nasty piece of work. <laughs> he did marry her. He did marry her. And he divorced her. In what was a very, very, very bitter divorce. You saw the signs of that way back then. Why did you not heed the signs? Oh, I see. Romantic love went too far in the physical relationship, was it? Went too far in the physical relationship and then the shutters come down and you can't see anything. Eros again, romantic love getting carried away, shutting down your brain. No good. You need to look for the warning signs. You need to respond to those warning signs in all sorts of ways. Physical abuse. Look, if, you're out, if you've been going with a guy for a year or something, and maybe the guy's got a bad temper or whatever. And you find yourself in some situation and he gives you a push or something. Listen, if he pushes you when you're dating, he's going to be punching you when you're married. Do you get it? Now you can say, oh, he didn't mean it. Or he just bumped me. Oh, I don't think so. You've got to watch that. That is a warning sign. You do not have to put up with that. Don't heed it. Sorry, heed it. <laughs> Heed it. Respond to it. Don't be blind to it. Don't be blind to it. Physical abuse, emotional abuse, sexual abuse, if he's putting too much pressure on you sexually. If you love me, you would. Would what? If you love me, you wouldn't. If you love me, you wouldn't be putting pressure on me. If you love me, you would stand back. If you love me, you would accept those things. If you love me, you'd be standing before God and this wouldn't be happening. Come on. Sexual pressure. It's a bad sign. If you've lost all your friends, that's a really bad sign. One person comes into your life and 20 people leave. It's the wrong guy. Right? But that happens, you know. This guy comes in or this girl comes in. All of a sudden, your mom and dad aren't talking to you. You lost your best friends. And everybody's saying, no! Except you. It's a bad sign. It's something you need to heed. And realize this is probably the wrong person. And very common one, but equally important one, is verbal abuse. This is particularly common from men to women. I don't know if you remember, there was a film, Educating Reader. How many remember that? Must be getting old. This was a good, good, good film. Very good film. Michael Caine and Julie Walters. And Julie Walters was a middle-aged woman who had never done anything with her life. She never learned anything. Never gone to school. And she gets to midlife and she starts to study and she starts to get an education, educating reader. But her husband is a slob and he doesn't want her to advance. So every time she goes to college, she's coming home with books under her arm 
and he starts to verbally abuse. Oh, Professor Rita, come in and sit down. He gets the kids lined up. We're going to have a lecture tonight from Professor Rita. That's verbal abuse. And you'll often see that from man to woman. The woman's made with that virtue, right? And she wants to aspire and help him up. And if a man doesn't want to move, if he's insistent on standing still, it often comes out in venom. It comes out in pulling the woman down and trying to stop her from shifting. And that's an awful situation. We had many situations just like this in our church in Ireland. About three on the go at the same time. Sad, see? Because the men feel threatened by a woman who starts to grow. The man can often feel threatened by that, particularly spiritually. And so all he can do, and he'll say, oh, I was just making a joke. <laughs> it's not a joke. I was just being sarcastic. It's not sarcasm. It's a much worse thing than any of that. It's holding a person back spiritually instead of going with them. So watch the warning signs. Be careful, not just to see them, but to respond to them. Don't be foolish. Recognize what's going on and what a person is really like. Commandment number six, thou shalt be willing to say that I got it wrong right up until you arrive at the altar. Hopefully you won't leave it that late. But you need to be that serious about it. Thou shalt be willing to say this is the wrong person and not to marry them right up until the last moment. It is better that you turn around here than you carry that through. Much, much, much better. Just go. And you need to be willing to let it go. And the trouble is, you see, we have emotional investment in people. And then we find it hard to, to pull back from that. People don't do this. Look at me, please. This is serious stuff. So you've been dating this guy, have you? Six months, is it? You've been going out with this girl, have you? So now all of a sudden it's got serious. He's asked you to marry him. She's asked you to whatever. <laughs> now what are you going to do? Oh, I just have to go with the flow. You need to be careful. You need to stop a minute and always be willing to say, I've got it wrong. But you know what? Many people don't do it. They don't do it for these reasons because they say, I'm going to get hurt. That's right, you are. You are going to get hurt. It is going to hurt. But it's a lesser hurt than if you go through with it, get married, you marry the wrong person. They're going to get hurt. You're going to get hurt. People don't do it because they've got low self-esteem. If all I've got in my pocket is 50 pence, I need to think before I give that away, you know. That's all I've got. And if the only person who you feel loves you is that person, you're saying, I have to give that away. That's a big decision. But it can be the right decision at that time. Sometimes you've got to let stuff go to receive the better. People don't go through with this because they think they don't deserve any better. Well, this is what God's got for me. It's sort of like the kind of like the guy I wanted a bit. <laughs> She's sort of like the woman, I think. Sort of like what I was praying for. Anyway, I don't deserve any better than this, do I? Do you know what? God has got a plan for you beyond your wildest dreams. And God will always choose for you a wife that you would never, ever choose for yourself. So much higher, so much better, such is the nature of sin that it causes such a low self-esteem in people. The major problem. And you can see it in their choices. You can tell a lot by a person by looking at her husband or his wife. A very great deal. You can tell what they think of themselves, you see, because of their choice. But if you leave that, God thinks so much of you that if you will only get your hands off and let him do the choosing, you will be shocked and stand back and say, my God, I do not deserve to marry this person. My wife said that. She didn't deserve to marry me. <laughs> it's a joke. <laughs> you do not deserve to marry this person. God has got someone for you, a plan beyond your dreams. It depends how willing you are to let go of the silver to get the gold. You know, in South Africa, they have the pineapple plantations. 
and the pineapple's up in the trees there, and the monkeys come along, and the monkeys climb up, and they steal, and they eat, and it kills the crop. And the way they deal with that, they get great big earthenware pots, heavy, heavy pots you can't pick up. And monkeys like nuts more than pineapples. So the monkey comes along, smells the nuts, looks at the I'll have the nuts, puts his hand in the pot, scoops up the nuts, can't get his hand out because they've made it too small. Can't let go. If only let go, you could go. And the farmers come along with their guns and their clubs and the monkey will not let go. <laughs> and they're screaming, but they just don't seem to have it in them just to let it go and leave. Can't walk away. And poof, they're cold. It's a tough thing in life to let things go when you haven't got much or you feel you haven't got much. And for all these reasons, people don't get themselves out of relationships that they shouldn't have got themselves into in the first place. They'll get hurt. They've got low self-esteem. It's all I deserve anyway. I'm not looking for anything better. It's what I know. It's what I know. It becomes a comfort zone for people because it's what they become familiar with. Oh, we've been going together now for three years. It's what I know. I'm comfortable with this. That's not a reason to get married. Just because you've become over-familiar. You can't build your life on that. These are serious things. Commandment number seven. Don't rush, but bring it to the church in a hurry. Don't rush any relationship. And I would say to you, talk to the pastor of the church you're in immediately. You see a guy, you see a girl that you fancy or you think something's going down, you talk to that pastor same day. Go to them, tell them. Look, you know, I'm feeling that this could be a possible relationship. What do you think? And please listen to me on this. <laughs> Have you any idea how much, generally speaking, pastors know about members? A lot more than you. <laughs> a lot more than you. All sorts of things. Sometimes you just get feelings you don't know, you know. But often you know an awful lot. And you could do, save yourself a lot of grief. You see, too often people come to me and say, December the 2nd, the 4th of April. They've set the date. This is so-and-so, and we want the 4th of April. <laughs> Who's he? <laughs> and they come, fait accompli. No, 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 you know, consultation. Marriage guidance is not once you set the date, friends. The marriage guidance that takes place between you and the potential partner, the potential spouse, is way before that. So that someone else can fire the hard questions and tease out issues that you will never dream up. Things that must be asked. So before you start setting dates, before you start any of that stuff, you need to go all the way through the marriage guidance and the council and listen to everything and then you can start talking about the M word, marriage, right? It's too soon. Far too much of a rush. Commandment number six, slow down. Slow down. This is a lifelong decision. Take your time and come through this properly. So bring it to the church in a hurry. Tell the pastor as quickly as possible or your discipler and they can talk it through. It's, it's a great, great need. If you stick within the confines of those very sensible boundaries, you'll be okay. If you don't invest too much in the person, if you don't give your heart over too quickly, too rapidly, and you stand your guard, don't touch, and you grow in love, you walk in love and grow in love, God sees what you do. He'll see you right the way through that. And you can have a healthy, balanced, normal marriage. Right? And that's what we need to come out the other end with. So I, I, please, I, I, I plead with you, don't go the way of the world. Too many people just get taken off by this relationship or that. Now, that's okay for those of you who are single and those of you who are going to be dating. But those of you who are married, of which is about half of this congregation, what about you? <laughs> you say, my dating days are over. Yeah, I know. But there's many different types of marriage here. There's many very healthy marriages. Praise the Lord. There's a few sick marriages. A few right marriages, a few wrong marriages. A few very damaged marriages. 
There's some people hanging on by a thread. Just about making it. And you would say this morning, what about me? Turn to Genesis. Genesis chapter 50. Take a look at this. This is what I would say to you. Genesis chapter 50, the last chapter, verse 19. This is when Joseph had met his brothers again at the end of his life. He's just about to die. And remember, the brothers wanted to kill him and everything else. And this is after that all happened. Genesis chapter 50, verse 19. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. To those of you who are married, listen, those of you who are married, whether your relationship is good, bad, whether you're just holding on by a thread, look at those words. Don't be afraid. Genesis chapter 50, verse 19. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. Whatever your situation, there's people here going through divorce, people here already divorced, people here in, in harrowing and hard situations. And I say to you this morning, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid, but lift your eyes to the hills. Look up to God. Do you know what, what, what Joseph is saying there? This is a fantastic circumstance. The brothers, look, the brothers did terrible things. They tried to kill Joseph. And all these years have gone by. And they're at the end of their lives. Joseph's just about to die, actually. And Joseph has come a long way in life. And he stands at this end before his death. And guess what? Life has changed them all. The bumps, the bad bits, the good bits, it's changed them. It's altered them. To the point where Joseph is able to say, Hey, you who tried to kill me, come here. <laughs> And speak kindly to them. You intended to hurt me. But God overseen our whole lives. And God can work everything together for good in the end. He says the same thing that Paul ends up saying. All things can work together for good. For those who will turn their hearts over to God. Look. Let me ask you a question. What is the main purpose of marriage? We could have had polygamy. We could have had 50 wives. We could have had communism. God could have instituted any number of systems, but he didn't. God chose the one man, one woman system called marriage. Why did he choose that? What's the purpose of it? Say, well, to populate the earth. Fine, that's not the central purpose. To avoid temptation, 1 Corinthians. That's right, but it's not the central purpose. The central purpose of marriage is very simple. It's to make you like Jesus Christ. It's about Christ-likeness. And nothing will change you more than marriage. Nothing. Nothing on earth. Nothing will cause you more joy. And nothing will cause you more pain. Nothing will take more from you. And nothing will give more to you. I need God more in my marriage than I ever, 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 ever do for my ministry. A thousand times more. And I have learned more through being married than I ever have learned in ministry. It's a completely different world. Let me tell you a mistake I made. Husbands, listen to me. When we got married, I was a full-time pastor. I had no money. I was working in Dublin and I took Jeanette out for a cup of coffee one day and I sat down and I had done what the best I could do for our future plans. And I sat her down. I said, look, as a pastor, sometimes I get paid, sometimes I don't. And I can't offer you this or promise you this, that, and the other. I just can't do that. It's not possible in this job. So what I want us to do, would you make a commitment to me that together you and I will sacrifice for the kingdom? So you will get married, but I can't promise you anywhere to live. I can't promise you this. I can't promise you that. All I can do is promise you I'll serve the Lord. And would you make that sacrifice with me because you're going to have to suffer in this too. And she says, um, yeah, okay. See? So we got married. Now, it took, it took about two years of an awful lot of grief 
and poverty stricken. <laughs> we had nothing. I'm thinking, God, what on earth have I got wrong here? Before the penny drops. I have got no right to bring that proposal to my wife. I have got no right whatsoever. My job when I'm married is to lay my life down for my wife. That's my job. And I'm not exempt because I'm a full-time pastor. It doesn't make, in fact, I should be an example because I'm a full-time pastor. And I'm sorry for what I did in that commitment because it was a false commitment. I was putting ministry actually before my relationship to my wife. And I don't think God was very impressed. It may have looked good. It may have sounded good. But ultimately, God's ear turned and said, Excuse me, a husband should love his wife as Christ loved the church. And right now, Mr. McKeever, you're loving ministry more than your wife. Now sort it out. It took me a long time to understand that. I need to honor my wife. I need to lay my life. Do you know Jesus said this one day? If any man does not hate his father, mother, brother, sister more than me, he is not worthy of me. Not wife. Not wife. He didn't say wife. Because in another part of the scripture, he says, husbands, lay your lives down for your wife. Love your wife, right? He didn't include it. And the wife, remember when Abraham was called to leave his family? Not his wife. He wasn't called to leave Sarah. Sarah would have gone with him. There's an important point here, husbands. <laughs> and if you get it, it'll help your marriage. You are to love your wife. You're to put her first. You're to provide for her. And I'm not exempt because I'm a minister. And any of you, you're not exempt. I've got to serve her. And God's more interested in that than he is anything else. When I get to the judgment seat, there'll be this big, thick book with Jeanette written on the spine. <laughs> and then there'll be this little thin book with my ministry written on it. Because God will be saying, do you know what, Michael? Do you know who you are? Do you know the real you? It's not this one. It's not the one on the platform. The real you is the one with your wife. Alone, at home, how you look after her. That's you, actually. And that's the you that I'm going to start to judge, how you cared for her. And Jesus has taught me very patiently to be a better husband. I'll give you an example of the practical lesson that I got taught not long ago. We were in Liverpool and everything got messed up. I was extremely busy. We were moving to Dublin. The furniture van was coming in like a week's time and we had nowhere to move to. We had no home to go to in Dublin. It was a catastrophe for me. And I came back home. I'd gone on the ferry over to Ireland to, to get a house as quickly as possible. So I'm leaving and I say, Jeanette, you better pray because we've got nowhere to live. I'm going, right? And she comes out and she says, oh, 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 listen, do you know the type of house I want? I want a house with a window over the bed, a, a, a skylight window that looks up so we can lie in bed at night and look up at the stars. That went down well with me. <laughs> so I can't remember what I said. But do you know what I said? I said something very dismissive like, what? <laughs> You're not thinking about stars and windows and roofs. We'll be lucky to get a tent. What are you thinking about? I said, we're going into... Ministry. Woman, what's wrong with you? We're going to ministry. What do you, and of course, listen, do you know what she does? Oh, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It's all right. Just drop it. Didn't really need it. So I get on the ferry and I'm confused. We don't have anywhere to live and my phone rings. And it's a person I know in Dublin saying, there is a house that's not on the market, but I think I can get it for you. And they booked an appointment for me for that day, one o'clock. I turned up at that house. They showed me round. We went up into the upstairs bedroom. There's the window <laughs> overlooking. And they, 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 the woman even turned to me and said, you can lie in bed at night and look up at the stars. <laughs> now, my, my point is, listen, my point is this. Who provided the window? God. And I'm impatient, you see. 
and I'm running off to Dublin. Jeanette, come on, hurry up, you're slow. Come on, we've got ministry to do. And she's over in Liverpool. She's talking to somebody. Talking. <laughs> talking to Jesus. And as I began my journey back, I suddenly realized that Jesus had something to say to me. It's a bit like a headmaster situation. You, come in and sit down. I like a scolded schoolboy. <laughs> and Jesus really dealt with me and I needed to, dealing with. He says, what did your wife ask for? <laughs> what did she ask for? She asked for a window in the roof, Lord. <laughs> and what did you do? I ignored it. Why? Because I'm selfish, Lord. <laughs> because I'm selfish, I'm letting myself off the hook. I'm trying to take the easy route and that's not acceptable, Lord. And Lord, I thank you for teaching me how to be a husband. And I've learned this, friends. Do you know what? If I don't meet her needs, Jesus does. If I fail in my role to provide for my wife, to do whatever, for, he does it for me. But he doesn't want to. He wants me to learn from him and to, to grow in being a husband and everything that a husband should be. And that has been because I'm selfish. I'm focused on ministry. But to be honest, I'm just telling you the truth. I don't believe it's acceptable. A man ought to lay his life down for his wife. Then I'll talk to you about your ministry. I know that might be hard for some of you to swallow, but I have no biblical mandate other than that, what it says in Ephesians. And when that's in place, then I'm honoring God within that relationship. Then we can focus on what we do. Okay? Next week, we're going to continue looking at love in you, how you function in it, how it works. So please stay in prayer and stay safe, especially those of you who are dating. Please take home those principles and put them into operation 